Welcome to Fable and the Verbivore. I'm Fable, Beth Stedman. And I'm the Verbivore, Laura Johnson. And this is a podcast for writers who read, readers who write, and, and everyone, everyone who, who loves, loves words. Yay, so we are super excited today to have May Wagner with us. And May is a fellow podcaster. She podcasts the, uh, the Rainy Day Collective is her podcast. She also facilitates the Carpe Diem Writer Group and is a trauma coach and mentor, which is awesome. And she released this year a memoir, which is um, called Girls, Assassins, and Other Bad Ideas, which is just an awesome title. By the way. Yes. <laughs> I really love it. Um, and it's just a very vulnerable, very open um, book about her life and her story. And so we are really excited to, to dig into that and talk to you about it today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to chat about it. And I just love connecting with people. So it's my favorite. We could talk about baloney and I'd be like, I'm in. So. <laughs> I love that. But we always start out these conversations with kind of the, your story with story, like first connections, stories that meant something to you growing up, any of those things. I always loved story. I like see, recognizing that now I didn't recognize it when I was younger, obviously, but probably the first story that like really resonated with me, sadly, as a 11 year old was Stacey Andrews. Oh, yeah. Which I should not have been reading. No <laughs> 11 year old should read them. But I just realized, wow, these are really powerful. These yes. are, I see myself here and I see others here. And this is so huge and powerful. And like, you know, elicit. And yeah, it was, yeah. I would carry on like as a teenager when I was referencing, cause I was living in a group home and you know, kids talk about their families. I would always describe my family in BC Anders characters. I'd be like, my grandmother is like the classic BC Anders grandmother, which she wasn't. But <laughs> I carried, I carried the, the trauma, the additional trauma of being a BC Anders reader with me throughout my adolescence. So. <laughs> It, but it's great to have something that you could yeah. connect with and e even kind of having a vocabulary for, even if some of it was a little to the kind of oh, trauma yeah. side. Extreme. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I mean, I was like preteen in the, the, the mid to late eighties and they're just, I don't think there was a lot. And if there was a lot for yes. girls my age to read, it was not something that was on my small town radar. Right. So yeah. I, you know, tried reading this like 800 page book about the Titanic and was like, yeah, that's not, that's not my speed. <laughs> and so I transitioned from like the picture books from my publisher, my publisher's weekly like book club to uh -huh. BC Andrews. There was no middle chapter yeah. books or anything. It was just diving in the deep end and now I'm glad being connected with so many writers that there are great options out there for yes. like middle grade and young a or young adult, but then I don't really remember there being any. Yeah. And we grew up in that same era too. It was like all old, old stories that were slow or, you know, there's things out there, but it's just a very different scene yeah. right now. I've got mm -hmm. young kids that are preteen and there is just such a plethora of great books for them. Okay. So how did you get from that to writing? What made you decide to start writing and to get into writing? Maybe I was an old lady born into my body because <laughs> I was seven and I was sitting in my room surrounded by my dumb picture books, right? Like piles of them mm -hmm. as if they offer anything really significant or substantial. And I knew like in this weird, like switch flipped and I knew I am going to grow up and write books that help people. Mm -hmm. 
I think it was seven. I, when I look back at that, like, and that never left and never wavered whenever people would say like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm going to write books that help people. But wow. now like 46 years old, and I look back at that. I'm like, what, what did I even know about helping people? I was seven. Mm. <laughs> like my life was a mess, but also like the trauma was my baseline because I didn't know anything any different. So it's not like I could comprehend I need help or I need to help people or anything like that. So it was some kind of divine something because Mm. I just always, and I tried over the years, like writing poetry, which was fine and writing stories, which was fine. And I love, I love those things, but it just always came back to, you need to write what's real that you've lived and hopefully it'll bring light to people. Absolutely. Well, and there's something powerful in that, in sharing those stories that are kind of deep within and that are important and getting that out there. I love that. Do you want to talk about the healing side of storytelling and how you approach that with your, with your own experience? It's so brave to write that way and to write those, those truths and to step back into the person who lives them shoes. Um, and I, I didn't know if you wanted to talk about it from the trauma perspective or from the writer perspective or both. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I'm very fortunate in that. I think before I actually sat down to pour myself into this particular project, which took forever to write, I had already like therapeutically gone through so much healing that it was just kind of validating to sit there and go through it. And I have worked and communicated with so many people who are just in the thralls of working on their memoirs. And it's so excavating and terrible. Like it's a dark place to be. And I just am reminded how really fortunate I was to have healed so much before that, because it is like a crash course and here's all your trauma and all the ways that you are completely messed up and all the ways that, you know, people just didn't show up for you the way they should have and enjoy crafting it into something lovely for people to read. But it is, it is very healing in the process too. Like my story went in a completely different direction than I had thought for years that it was going to go. And I think that there is something really to be said about the traumatic experiences that we have and how they reshape and define us and how we shouldn't live in the past. We shouldn't dwell in those places, but we also shouldn't release those things into a different time because they're, they're ours, even the bad sides of them, they're ours and they're tools to use, to shape, whether it's to cultivate empathy, empathy or community or what have you. So it was very powerful and I wouldn't do it again, (laughs) (laughs) at least with the stuff that's in this book. It was a lot. And now I'm ready for happy things. Yes. Did you face any like fear in doing that? I mean, it sounds like you'd kind of known you wanted to write books that help people for a really long time, which is amazing to me, like (laughs) um, someone having that kind of clarity since that young. But like when you sat down to write a memoir about your own story, like, like this is a very vulnerable book and you address a lot of trauma, a lot of very hard things and a very honest and, and authentic way, I think. And I'm just curious, like last week on the podcast, we talked about doing things that scare us and like things that are new and different. And, and it just strikes, it strikes me as such a scary thing to write a memoir. And so I'm just curious how you worked through that fear. If you experienced that fear or anything like that. Um, yeah, I am a big fan of that, by the way, embracing the things that scare us, but yeah, comfort is the dangerous space. I, I love it. I, when I was 12, um, I talk about it in the book, I was, um, sexually abused and for whatever reason, there was this 
again, a switch, not to keep using that, but this switch that flipped inside and I realized that no one was going to show up for me. I had to show up for myself. Mm -hmm. And I just went around my little small town telling everyone like, Hey, did you know I've been molested? Hey, did you know that he was molesting me? Hey, did you know, like at the supermarket, somebody would say like, how are you going? And I'd be like, Oh, well, did you know that I was being molested for the last like 10 years? And I just, (laughs) just wouldn't stop. I wouldn't, I, everyone, everyone, it didn't matter who they were. I would talk about Mm -hmm. it. And I think that that spirit never left me. And so as an adult, I had no problem sharing experiences that I'd been through. Even if I didn't really see them clearly, I had no problem doing that. And so I have talked about all of these things so much for so long that writing them down wasn't scary. Putting them out there in the world, it wasn't as scary as I think it should have been. My only actual fear came as a revelation when I realized that there were some people who I omitted from the first draft, maybe the first five drafts of the book out of protection for them, but they didn't deserve to be protected. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't realized yeah. I had done that. And so that was really the only thing that I was like, oh, that's really scary to put that part in here. What if they read it? Even though I really don't care if they read it, like they, they can own, I own my crap that I've done. They can own their stuff or not mm-hmm. like that's on them. Um, but that was really the only scary thing was just realizing like, wow, I subconsciously omitted these people because I was protecting them and they don't deserve that. Well, and truth telling is, I mean, I think even for the person that we were, like that has such a value, like using our voice to be able to tell the truth. And I think giving yourself the invitation not to filter that not to Mm -hmm. in a way that isn't personally harmful to yourself. I think sometimes like we have to (laughs) check in with ourselves with where we're at, but that, that is empowering to identify that this is a truth that needs to be told. And we're all there, right. In different ways. Like we're not writing a book, but just waking up in the morning and going out in the world, like we're all there embracing our truths and our past trauma and possible triggers and whatever, like it's a dangerous place out there. And that's before the world flipped upside down. Like it's rough. So I I really feel like that's why storytelling is so important because it gives other people the ability to realize I'm not alone. I too can face brave things and I have value. I love that there's the soundtrack to your memoir as well. Like the, the musical connection and how that captures kind of additional meaning and additional, how did you approach that? Did the songs come first? Did the stories come first? Or was it a little mix? Like how, how did that come to be? It started, I'm an Enneagram four. So I, music is everywhere all the time and everything. <laughs> and so I wrote to this list that just would get the Spotify playlist that would get whittled down and there were certain songs Mm -hmm. that would just stay and I never knew why but when I was working on this particular project like it just I knew I needed to plug into this playlist and just see what happened and just kind of evolved naturally and so then when I first gave it to my publisher I have like random chapters with song dedications and they were like "Mm, you need to do this for all of the chapters or none of them. And so that, that was hard because then I, some of them, I'm like, I don't know how to find a song for this. Like this chapter's a train wreck. What do I do a song for? But even that process was really cathartic for me to realize like, okay, I'm going to dedicate this song to like childhood me or adolescent me or 
you know, that high school boyfriend that got away or whatever. And it was really, it was really fun to add that element as an Enneagram four, I like to go deep and I'm like, well, so I gave the option. If a reader just wants to read the book, they read the book. If they want to go deeper, here's the songs. If they want to go even deeper, there's like film references throughout it. So it's an, it's a whole experience. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I love films. So I like that a lot too. Well, and you kind of structured the book as these like letters to different time periods of your life and different people. And, and I'm curious how you chose that structure and, and what that came out of. I was really overwhelmed at the idea of telling a linear story about yeah. my experience. And so I felt like if I could take each chapter and compose it as a kind of standalone essay about a specific topic or relationship, then that would work for me. And so if that meant that I was eight in part of the chapter and 38 in part of the chapter, then it still worked because it was focused on that, that one thing. And I'm a really slow reader. And so for me as a reader looking at it, I thought that would make it more bite-sized, especially Mm -hmm. since it's dealing with some really heavy things. Yeah. Yeah. Really able to just kind of put it down and walk away from it if you need to. So yeah, that was really why I went in that direction. Yeah. I like that. I think it did work really well as a structure for this. And it does kind of read like a combination of essays, a very personal essays. I also found it really interesting that I'm always impressed when people manage to do this, but you managed to talk about these traumas and very openly and honestly, but also there was so much compassion in your story and so much hope and it didn't feel dark or heavy, even as you were talking about these very dark and heavy things. And, and I think that that is a gift to be able to offer people both the hard, real things and um, a chance to relate to those things, but also to offer some some hope and, and a bit of grace within that. Yeah. Was that um, challenging at times or how did you approach that maybe? I don't feel like it was challenging, but again, I have to preface with, I had gone through therapy for years before. Yeah. So that yeah. probably helped a lot. I feel like I really believe that we, in every situation come to a fork and we get to turn left and live in resentment and mm-hmm. just get bitter about what we've been through, or we go right. And we try mm-hmm. and find the light in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that really shaped a lot of how I wrote what I wrote. And mm-hmm. really, I was probably in the middle of writing the book when I in, encountered an opportunity to try and connect with the person who had sexually abused me when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I realized for the first time that I would like to do that. I would like to sit down and talk to them about things that didn't pertain to the abuse, but pertain to other parts of my life. And that's when it really hit me, I think, for the first time that life is so gray. And we live in a world where we are told it is black and white. And we want to believe that it's black and white because that helps things make sense. The gray is terrifying, but it really is gray. And somebody can be your most abusive parent and the most loving parent you had. And it, we don't want that to be true because it's so comforting not to be true. But I think that for me personally, I had to start embracing like all of these areas where it is great. And I think that with that comes the ability to, to empathize a little bit, but to be compassionate to some, I mean, sort of that person, but also who I was at the time. And also like other people from either, either aspect of that. I connected with those themes in your memoir, as well as, as you talked about the, those complexities and that nuance, I think it's freeing 
for someone else to be like, oh yes, these complicated feelings, they're there for a reason. And I can feel multiple things about someone. Like I can feel anger and resentment and I can also feel like tons of love for them and that's okay. Like recognizing that and normalizing it. I think it's so powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something that we are seeing now, right? The world is crazy and we're seeing so much like black and white, like, well, I have to hate you because we're different, or I have to think negatively of you or want to hurt you because we're different or whatever. And I just think that if we would just all step back and realize like, ah, we can have like conversations and disagree or we can, um, I can respect you, even though I don't support your beliefs. And these are just ideas that are so lost and maybe we're, they're supposed to be like, maybe we're raised in our society to not Mm -hmm. embrace the complexities, but I feel like they're so important. Yes. Do you mind if I talk about intersectionality with the memoir? Please do. I, I love the details that are in in the different sections. And there was one story about ponchos in Arizona and I was born and raised in Arizona and I have eaten there with my family. So as I'm, <laughs> as I'm reading, I'm like ponchos. Like it was a, an unexpected little treat. It was a delight. As the story says, it's no longer there. And it was just, that's the power of memoir is you step into something and there's things that you connect with and you get and are part of your experience and things that aren't and then sometimes you get delicious little moments like that and I just loved that yeah I'm so glad and I'm so glad that you knew what I was talking about because (laughs) I I know a lot of people didn't and I yeah I was the best such a highlight of my childhood going there so fun and magical and yeah and the raising the flags I was right there with you yeah like the the delight of the tacos coming and I I was here magic there's nothing else like that like why why don't we have that it's true (laughs) I think sometimes when we're writing our stories we can get a little too abstract and it's so good to remember that like the specific things are really important and they do create connections and so yeah, I've never been to Poncho's. It was not part of my story, I'm but so I still sorry. love that you included that. It just was, <laughs> you painted a picture that I think um, even those who didn't experience that can really yes. picture it. And then those who did get kind of this extra. It's so funny. Well, I'm very sorry for you that you have never been because it was amazing. It was. Can you tell us a little bit about your publishing journey and what that was like and um, yeah. how that's been since the book's come out? Um, yeah, I went initially the the traditional route. I thought, like most people my age, that there was no choice. Um, that and then even though like indie publishing has grown into this amazing thing, like I didn't. <laughs> I just in my head still is like, nope. You get the book deal, you get the advance, you are sold at the bookstore. Like that's the way that it is. I queried for a while, and it didn't work out. In that, I had some positive feedback, but what I started to realize, especially with the topic, the topics and themes in my book, they started to realize was that if I was published in a big publishing house and they had the opportunity to publish, let's just say James Franco's memoir, they are going to publish and prioritize his memoir about whatever sexual assault he's done or disparaging things to women that he's done. They will prioritize that over mine. 
And I couldn't do that to my readers because I felt like I needed to respect my readers enough to not basically sell my soul to the devil for a paycheck. And I don't judge anyone else who has taken that journey. But for me, that became, I couldn't sleep at night. What, and I think there was, um, it was around the time that like Dylan Farrow's documentary came out on HBO and there was all the talk about Woody Allen and like his stuff. And I just really realized like, they're always going to choose the hot topic celebrity. And I can't guarantee that they're ever going to look out for my readers and not me. I can take care of myself. I wanted them to look out for my readers and handle them sensitively. So that's when I stepped back and realized like, okay, I'm not going to traditionally publish. I need but I didn't want to self-publish. So I really was kind of at a crossroads of, I don't know what's going to happen. And Mm -hmm. then I was working on my book proposal and I was looking for comp titles. And a friend of mine in my writing group was like, Hey, here's this book that I think would be a good comp title. And I hadn't read it. So I read it. And then Mm -hmm. I was so touched by her story because of the similarities that I asked if we could have a meeting on zoom. And when we were chatting, she told me that she went through a small publisher, uh, Mm -hmm. burning soul press. And so I reached out to them and yeah, it just became this very solid thing for me that I knew, okay, this is it. This is where my story will be eventually. And it took a lot, about a year of things aligning in a certain way. And then it just fell into place and it, it happened. They offered me a book deal like five days before my mom died last fall. And oh. I was like, okay, cause my book is inherently about my mother. And so mm. it just all felt so aligned and so connected. And I just knew like, Mm. this is it. And since publishing, I, um, it's been really good. I have had beautiful conversations with people and Mm. I love the conversations with people that I know that have read my book, but more so the people that I don't know who read it and pull out things from it that are really profound for them. And I realized Mm. I love that more than anything. Mm. I, I'm not going to get rich writing. No one does except unless you're, I don't know, the rare, the rare James Patterson-y people who steal other people's work. That's another thing. But anyway, um, but I feel rich because I am able to have these connections with people. And for me, that really is what it is about. I love that. I've been hearing a lot more writers doing that and going the route of like small boutique publishing houses. And there's a lot of new ones popping up too all the time, I think. Mm -hmm lately. And, and I, I love that. I think it's great to have um, more diversity in publishing and more options for writers. Absolutely. And there really is a lot of gatekeeping that happens with the big publishing houses. Yes. And, and, and too, like, it's such a, a weird, like, who do you know? And how do you know them? Because yeah. Yeah. I realize I'm not the, the most important reader in the world, but sometimes there are books that get like traditionally published. And I'm just like, how did, how did you post this? Like this book is yeah. terrible. Yeah, I think that there's something out there for everyone, but it's nice to have that, to know that your publisher actually has your back and they're not just like putting stuff out so that they can line their pockets with money. And it is really like a journey together. Yes. I love that too. Like valuing the reader and the connection with the reader over, over anything else that you can get from them. Yeah. Yeah, Even if you're writing a romance, like that's the point. The point is just to connect Mm -hmm. with people and to bring a little light into their into their life somehow. And that's the best thing about being a writer, I think, because we get into people that other, other, other career paths don't really. Yeah. Yes. 
kind of in connection with that, since from the reader's perspective, some the first thing that they kind of connect with is that cover, and it's a beautiful cover on your memoir. I mm-hmm. was wondering if you wanted to talk about the journey with that. Did you have any say on in that? Um, what kind of the story of the cover was? Sure, I did have say in it. It was really a funny a funny thing. Um, I, the cover designer reached out to me. She had not read the book and she reached out to me and she's like, what are some things you're interested in? What are some colors that you're interested in? And I was like, I don't know. I wrote the book. I don't, I, how do you like surmise a book in such a personal book in a cover? Like I knew I didn't want a photo or anything. And so I was like, I like watercolor things, you know, here's a little bit of what it's about. And so she comes back at me with this email that has like a bicycle, a water, a watercolor bicycle with some flowers. And I was like, that's, that's not it. (laughs) So I wrote back and I was like, that's really pretty, but I think it's not really the vibe here just to get a little deeper. Here's some dark elements that happened in my book. And this was the next thing she sent. And I, she went from bicycle flower basket to this cover. And the second I saw it, I was like, Oh my God, that's it. That's it. It's perfect. They love it so much. I love it too. And what's funny is for anyone who's listening, I have blue hair and I actually match the cover. We didn't realize this until I held it up earlier. (laughs) It's amazing, but it's gorgeous. The second I saw it, I'm like, Oh, like that's, it's just beautiful and intriguing and the title is as well. So do you want to talk about how you got to the title of this story and this, your yes. story? I, it was for a long time. The working title was sugar for, we're probably talking like almost eight years. It was sugar. Cause my grandma called me that when I was little. And oh. um, then one day back when I was still on Facebook, my friend had tagged me in one of those dumb little things where it's like your first letter of your name or in the street you grew up on and whatever this is your book title and my book title was girls assassins and other bad ideas and I was like okay and she said you're not really going to use that are you and I was like I am going to use it fantastic that's incredible I hate coming up with titles so much it's so hard <laughs> I love that you just use yeah. one of those meme things for like the yeah, I, that's really I also am terrible at naming things like yes. I just naming like trying to do fiction and naming characters they always sound like these weird made-up names and so yeah I I was like I'm using it I'm sticking with it so that was a good choice like it's a great title <laughs> that's amazing. yeah well thank you it's very intriguing yes yeah yeah. But then I did like, as I was working on putting the book out, I did clarify a few times on social media, like just so we're clear, there are no assassins. <laughs> we're we're going to take it metaphorically. Yes. Here's metaphorically what assassins look like. And and it wants somebody to be like, I thought she was a ninja. This sucks. <laughs> well, and definitely when you read the back of the book, it's very clear that, that there's no ninjas. Not, yeah. But I, I love that. I love that it can be metaphor. I love that. <laughs> and it's interesting when, when we, we can find things in so many different places. And then when you feel that, like, this is what it is, this is what is right. Um, I love that you just went with that. Yeah. There does yeah. seem to be so much intuition to your story and just to like deciding on the cover and deciding on the yeah. title and, and even just this 
the way you structured it in stories. And I love that. I think we don't value that enough sometimes, um, or we let too many external influences determine those choices for us. That's so true. Yeah. Would you talk a little bit about your coaching work and um, the writing group that you facilitate? Yeah. Kind of just what that looks like. And yeah. Sure. It's all so oddly the same. It's Mm -hmm. that's, I love sitting at this point in my life and looking back and seeing all of the interwoven like connections. It's amazing. I, for a long time, you know, was going to write books to help people. Um, But that was this just this huge like, Thing. How do you do that? And so instead I'm like, you know, working in my thirties in retail and would randomly be approached by women just dumping their stories on me. And mm-hmm. then I wanted, like, I became like really convinced that I needed to help women like love themselves and mm-hmm. take care of themselves and nurture themselves. So I went to school and became an esthetician and just really loved like this opportunity to help women take care of themselves, but also give them an opportunity to just let their guard down and be vulnerable and share things. Mm. I realized through that, like I was coaching women for free, essentially (laughs) um, (laughs) through their trauma. And I would have women coming back to me. Like I was working at Ulta for a while and they would come back and be like, come on, do you remember meeting me like four weeks ago and you, we were talking about like this with my mom and I went home and did what you said. And and what do you think I should do about this? And so then I just <laughs> really realized like I could get paid for this. So I um, went and started, you know, taking classes and just working on like going to summits and just working on how to deal with people. Cause really that's just what I want is to walk through trauma with women because it's terrifying to walk alone through these things that we've lived, but also there's so much beauty to be taken from even the most mangled of messes. Mm. And so I, yeah, I started doing that and I love it. And then that just like turned into initially it was going to be like a coffee table book. And then I just was like, wow, that's really complicated. And so then it became a podcast of just having women on and sharing their stories. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's all just kind of the same. And um, my writing group came about in the pandemic. I was freelancing in the entertainment industry. And when it came to a halt, I had no jobs. And so then I really was like, I need to, I guess, work on my book and get that done instead of just continuing to say like one day I'm going to write books to help people. So I just was invited to a kind of similar, but not group. And I was like, that's so exciting. Like people can get together virtually and have like a writing group. This is amazing. And then they (laughs) told me that it was $175 a month. And I Mm -hmm. thought, yeah, no, I don't have a job. It's the, it's 2020. And So then I just like reached out to a couple of friends and a bunch of people I didn't know who were writers on Instagram and said, Hey, if I put this together and I charge this job and they're like, yeah, I do. And here we are two years later and it's fantastic. Yeah. It's so true that sometimes you just have to take that initiative and start what you want to see in the world, like, or the thing that you can't afford yourself. (laughs) I don't know. That's great. Yeah. I was like, I charge 150 a year. (laughs) I was like $175 a month. I just, no, I cannot, I cannot do that. 
I have one of the my friends in our group went to a different writing group um and they like were talking about their boats and it was a very expensive one and they were all like the whole session they were talking about their boats that they were all taking out on the weekend and she's like I don't fit in here (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like no those groups are great for the boat people but we we are a different breed we are the ones who brew our own coffee and it's fine yes Giving yourself the invitation to do that, to when something's not out there to go and make it happen. That's from creating your own group. Are there any useful tools and tips that you've learned that you wanted to share? I just think that it is really important to do life and in a community. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I really realized that before, Um, but it changed my life. And it isn't even like we write together and we read each other's stuff and we cheer each other on and we promote each other. But also sometimes we will sit two to three hours past the end of our group time and just talk about the most random crap and laugh. And it is literally just this group of people doing life together. And it is so important to realize, to not get hung up on the point, right? Like, well, this is a book club. So we're talking about the book or this is a writer's group. So we're only talking about writing, but just being in a community and realizing like we all have low times and high times and we're going to still be on that wave together and that you have that soft place to fall. And it just makes it all so much easier. Yeah. I think so often as writers, we have this idea of like the isolated writer in the tower, like pulling their hair out, like the artist, you know, the starving artist, like alone kind of image. Mm -hmm. And it's just not sustainable or true. Even like you don't need to do that in order to create work in the world. And you'll hurt yourself by trying to do that in order to create work in the world. Like it is so much more fulfilling and healing and helpful. And, um, productive even to write in community and especially I love that you mentioned that the community is writing together but also just living life together and I think that's important because we are all complex people we have more sides to us than one exactly and it really Mm -hmm. it really is this terrifying idea if you've never done anything like that to think about vulnerably putting yourself out there because you know we are bred to compete and and just when you, when you put yourself in that position and you just really split yourself open and other people do the same, you begin to realize that her win is my win and my yeah. win is their win. And yes. it really, that is such a true, that is such a true thing. I feel like I have been happier for some of the successes of the other writers in my group than I even was when my book came out mm-hmm. to the point that there were people that were like, aren't you excited? And I was like, I am. <laughs> and it was, but also like, I just love more so celebrating like mm-hmm. their wins and their successes. That's so beautiful. and so sure. It's so fulfilling. Like, it's so great to see your friends like succeed mm-hmm. and to get to be behind that and see all the struggle that they face to get there. And then to see that come to fruition. Yep. I can't even fathom going back to the beliefs that I grew up with that other women were my competition. Yeah. I just can't, I can't even reconcile with that mindset anymore. And I'm glad because it's so much more free on this side of things than that. Well, then the nourishing as well, when you have those interactions and you get to share the wins with each other, that's, there's something really beautiful and healing about that as well. Like that going through that 
together. Absolutely. We always end with asking if you have any kind of final advice for anyone who's writing a memoir, anyone who's, you know, trying to give themselves the invitation to act or do something. Um, just do you have any final advice? And this this entire episode has been <laughs> just full of it, um, full of great advice, full of great takeaways. Um, any last words? I would just reiterate, don't do it alone. Connect with people, find your people. Not everyone is going to be your person. Just go with like, you know, we know, we know when we meet people, when we embark on a decision, we know and Mm -hmm. trusting that, trusting that feeling that intuition really is going to lead to the success every time. So that is, yeah, my number one advice is find your, find your people and trust your intuition. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much, May, for joining us and all of you listening. We will have um, links to all of May's stuff and book and all of that in the the notes, the show notes. So check that out. And we hope that you keep reading and keep writing and keep putting your work out in the world and doing those brave, scary things. 